Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHer Con is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. At the same time, you don't want to spend too much time and kind of go crazy and spend hours and hours investigating one small assumption because that is kind of a waste of time. And no matter how much research you do at this point, you're not going to have perfect information. Therefore, you're not going to have perfect assumptions. It's that time of year again, tax season. How are you doing on tax season? How's that treating you so far? Well, if you have a lot of receipts and you're organizing things like your income and expenses and creating reports, and you're also trying to keep up to date with the new tax reform this year, there's a lot of deductions that we can take to maximize return. And there's a lot of strategies that we need to make sure we're aware of. Are you optimizing for the new tax laws? Well, our sponsor, Stessa, teamed up with the top real estate CPAs to offer you the ultimate rental property tax guide. And I've read it. This is the ultimate rental property tax guide. I'm talking about they've got everything covered from opportunity zones to entity selection to establishing a home office, travel expenses, what type of travel expenses are deductible, real estate strategies, tax strategies, capital improvements versus repairs. I mean, this is the ultimate rental property tax guide. And you can get it for free by going to stessa.com forward slash best taxes. You have to sign up for an account, but the account is free. So when you sign up for a free Stessa account, you will get this guide. This is worth its weight in gold for sure. Go to stessa.com, S-T-E-S-S-A.com forward slash best taxes. And when you work with Stessa, Stessa is a tool that helps every rental property owner track, manage, and communicate the performance of our real estate investment. So it's going to save a lot of time during tax season, but then also through the rest of the season as we go and grow our rental portfolio and optimize that. So go to stessa.com forward slash best taxes. Get that ultimate rental property tax guide. There needed to be a resource on apartment syndication that not only talked about each aspect of the syndication process, but how to actually do each of the things and go into it in detail. And we thought, hey, why not make it free too? That's why we launched Syndication School and Theo Hicks will go through a particular aspect of apartment syndication on today's episode and get into the details of how to do that particular thing. Enjoy this episode. And for more on apartment syndication and how to do things, go to apartmentsyndication.com or to learn more about the Apartment Syndication School, 
go to syndicationschool.com so you can listen to all the previous episodes. Hi, best of your listeners. Welcome back to another episode of the Syndication School series, a free resource focused on the how-tos of apartment syndication. As always, I'm your host, Theo Hicks. As you know, each week we air two podcast episodes about a specific aspect of the apartment syndication investment strategy. And for the majority of these series, we offer a document, resource, some sort of spreadsheet for you to download for free that accompanies those episodes or the overall series. All of these documents, as well as previous Syndication School series, as always, can be found at syndicationschool.com. This episode is part two of what will likely be a six-part series entitled How to Underwrite a Value-Add Apartment Deal. If you haven't already, I recommend listening to part one. It's actually more of a requirement because this underwriting process kind of flows one step after another. In part one, which went live yesterday, or if you're listening to this in the future, the episode directly before this one, we learned what you need in order to underwrite a deal. We summarized the overall seven-step underwriting process, and then we went through steps one and two. And in the episode, I mentioned that we are offering a free simplified cash flow calculator, so a free underwriting model, simplified version, with this series. So I recommend downloading that either in the show notes of this episode or at syndicationschool.com under series number 14, How to Underwrite a Value at Apartment Deal. We were cut short in part one, so in part two, we're going to start off with step three, which is inputting the T12 information into the model. Steps one, as a refresher, are number one is to read through the offer memorandum, and step two was to input your rent roll information into the financial model. So step three is going to be inputting the T12 information into the financial model, and then we are also going to discuss step four, or at least a part of step four, which are setting your underwriting assumptions. So the assumptions for how you will operate the property after it is acquired, as well as some acquisitional assumptions as well. So step three, inputting the information from the T12 into your financial model. The information that you need from the T12 that will be inputted into your financial model are income numbers. So those will be the concessions, which are the one-time ongoing rent reductions or fee reductions offered to residents to get them to move into your property. You're also going to input the unit expense, which is essentially the market rent that is lost from a unit being used by an employee or a model unit, an admin unit, an office, a maintenance room, kind of storage. Essentially anything that's being used for non-rental purposes that could be used for rental purposes. So if you've got an employee living in one of your units at a rent reduction of $100, then your unit loss is going to be $100 per month. You've got a unit that could be rented for $700, but it is being used by a model unit, then your unit loss would be $700 per month. You also will pull the bad debt information from the T12, the bad debt, as a reminder. If you listen to series number 13, Uh, the previous series, we went into extreme detail on what all the different line items on the rent roll and the T12 are. So I recommend listening to that because I'm just going to kind of quickly go over those metrics, not to find them every single time, or at least not to find them in in detail every single time. So you pull bad debt from the T12. Bad debt is that uncollected revenue from tenants who have moved out of the the property. So if they owe money on their security deposit, if they have unpaid rent, and they've already moved out, then that's technically considered as bad debt. And if you collect it, great. If not, then you write it off. You also want to take a look at the loss of lease and the vacancy loss that's listed on the T12 and compare that to that of the rent roll. So typically when you get a rent roll in T12, the last month of the T12 should be the same month as the rent roll. 
So if the T12 is January 2018 through December 2018, then the rent roll should be for December 2018. And again, that's going to be a snapshot in time, a day, a moment in time of what the current rental situation is. So the loss of lease and the vacancy on the rent roll are not going to be the exact same as the vacancy and loss of lease on the T12 because the T12 is for a full month, whereas the rent roll is not even for a day, it's for a specific time of that day. But they should be close. So there shouldn't be a variance of 50% between the rent roll and the T12 for the bad debt and vacancy. If there is, we want to make a note and ask what's going on. How did they reduce the loss of lease and vacancy by 50% in a couple of days? Probably inputting errors or something's going on there. And then you're also going to pull the other income data from the T12. So that's the income data, but there's also the expense data that you get from the T12. So that's payroll, maintenance and repairs, contract services, turn and make ready costs, advertising costs, admin costs, utilities, management fee, taxes, insurance, and any other expense. On the simplified cash flow calculator that you can download for free, you want to input the annual expense. So for the T12, if you've listened to the T12 episode, you know this, but there's 14 columns. Column number one is the actual list of the income and expense line items. And the next 12 columns are going to be the expenses or incomes associated with those line items for each of the previous 12 months. And the last one will be a total for the year. And that's what you want to input into your cash flow calculator. Now, similar to the rent roll, Sometimes the T12 will be in PDF form, other times it will be in Excel form. Again, this isn't a requirement, but it is helpful to have the T12 in Excel form. So if it's not in Excel form, it might make sense to convert that to Excel because once you have your T12, in order to determine the various income and expense categories, you're going to want to assign a category to each line item. So literally what I do is I open up the T12 and I add a 15th column on the right-hand side right next to the total. And I will essentially look at all the expense categories and all the income categories. So concessions, units, bad debt, loss of lease, vacancy, other income, and then for expenses, payroll, maintenance, repairs, etc. And so all of those, I will assign one of those to each line item on the T12. And then I run a pivot table so that I will have a table that will have the total concessions, total units, the total payroll, total maintenance repairs. Because sometimes, as I've mentioned in the T12 episode, the T12 will be categorized perfectly. All the payroll expenses will be on their payroll. All the maintenance and repair expenses will be on their maintenance and repairs. But more likely, they either have different categories or some of the expenses fall into the wrong categories. So for me, regardless, if the categories are perfect or not, I'll still go through each line item, assign it a category, and run that pivot table. If you don't know how to run a pivot table, you can just simply sort that by that 15th column with all those categories, and then hover over the cells for each of the categories to get that sum. Now, a few things to look at when you have your converted T12. Number one is you want to look at the total income, total expenses, and the net operating income, and see how they are trending over the past 12 months. So is the total income increasing over time or decreasing over time? Are the total expenses decreasing over time or increasing over time? And then is the overall net operating income increasing over time or decreasing over time? For each of those, the first one is good. The second one isn't necessarily bad, but is something that you want to take note of. So if total income is decreasing, if total expenses are increasing, or if net operating income is decreasing, then you'll want to make a note of that for a question to ask the broker. Now, if one of those are trending in the wrong direction, then you can go into the line items and the categories that make up that overall category and determine, okay, so if the total income is decreasing, 
let's see which line item is affecting it the most. So let's say you determine that, okay, well, loss of lease has been going up over the past 12 months. And if you take that away, then the total income is actually increasing. Then you know that something's going on with the loss of lease. Or if you look at the expenses and see that the maintenance, if you look at the total expenses, and that's increasing, and you see that, okay, well, there's one $50,000 maintenance or repair cost in one of the months. If I take that away, then the total expenses are decreasing. So what was that expense? What happened? Is that something that's recurring, or is that a one-time thing that should have been in the CapEx, should have been categorized as CapEx and not maintenance or repairs? So essentially, you want to kind of look at the overall numbers, the overall income, overall expenses, overall net operating income to see if they are trending in the right or wrong direction. And if one of them is trending in the wrong direction, then dive into the details to see if you can identify exactly why that is happening. Other things to look at, and again, I'm going to go over some numbers, and these are, again, based off of that 200-plus unit value-add deal, Class B property, Class B market. So is a bad debt greater than 1.5%. So you don't want to see a bad debt that's 5%. If you do, then you want to determine why. That might indicate a poor resident demographic. And if you plan on turning over those units and improving the resident demographic, then you'll know that you'll be able to reduce that number. But you need to determine exactly why it's so high before you can determine whether or not that's something you can fix. Same for vacancy. Is that vacancy rate greater than the market average? If it is, why? Are concessions greater than 3%? 3% is kind of the highest concessions that you'll want to see on a property. If it's higher than that, then you want to know why. As a reminder, concessions are used to attract residents. So if you've got 10% concessions, then something is going on either with the property or the rents or the demographic that's being targeted. And so you'll want to know, okay, well, if concessions are 10% of the gross potential rent, then what's going on? Because concessions is a loss. And as I mentioned, you want to see if there are any large one-time charges. And if so, what are they? And again, this is for the income and the expenses. So one thing that is common is you'll see other income that's really high. And they'll dive into the details and you'll see that they are collecting a ton in late fees. And if you plan on taking over the property and improving the demographic and kind of improving the management, then you're not going to have those late fees. And so your other income is actually going to be reduced. And then also for expenses, as I mentioned, if the expenses are trending upwards or if they are abnormally high, like the expenses are 65% of the total income, which is pretty high, typically is around 50 to 55%. Then you want to dive into the line items under each of those larger categories and see if there are any one-time large charges. So as I mentioned earlier, I gave an example of a $50,000 maintenance repair cost during one particular month and all the other months it's $4,000 a month. That's something that will stand out and you want to kind of highlight that, make a note, and ask the broker what's going on. So after you've inputted all of the rent roll and the T12 data into your cash flow calculator, you kind of got a snapshot of, okay, here's how the property is currently operating. Next, you want to determine how the property is going to operate after you've taken over, and that's when you begin to input your assumptions. So this is step four, and it is going to be the most important step of the underwriting process because, again, this is where you essentially make your money. Every syndicator looks at the deal is going to see it differently and probably input different assumptions based off of what they can do with the property and the value opportunities that they have identified. So you want to make sure that you are spending an ample amount of time and investigating in order to determine the proper assumptions. At the same time, you don't want to spend too much time and kind of go crazy and spend hours and hours investigating one small assumption because that is kind of a waste of time. And no matter how much research you do at this point, you're not going to have perfect information. Therefore, you're not going to have perfect assumptions. So 
if you have difficulty with one of the assumptions, kind of make the best assumption possible and put a placeholder number in there or put a placeholder number in there and make sure you make a comment in that cell to speak with your management company or the broker or the mortgage broker or contractor, whoever it is that can help you finalize that assumption. And of course, at the end of the underwriting process, you'll want to run all of the assumptions by your property management company. And then once you put a deal under contract, you're going to pull a whole lot of due diligence reports to either confirm or adjust and revise these assumptions. So for now, kind of in this early point in the process, you're going to be relying a lot on the information provided in the OM. You're relying a lot on how the property is currently operating. And you rely a lot on kind of your own knowledge and experience underwriting deals, which can, again takes time. So if you're just starting out, make the best assumptions you can. You're probably going to have a million questions to ask, which is why you've kind of prepared your management company for that. And they know where you're at. You didn't lie to them and tell them that you've done all these deals before because... At this point, you need to rely heavily on them to kind of get these assumptions correct. And if you told them up front that you have all the experience and you start asking them all these simple, basic questions during the underwriting process, then they're going to know that you were lying to them. So before we go into these actual assumptions, I know I kind of set up this episode to be all about assumptions, but I'm going to change it up a little bit. And before we get into the first set of assumptions, which are used to determine the equity required to close on a deal... I think we're going to talk about that in next week's series, and instead we're going to go over some of the ways to add value to the apartment community, because at this point, a lot of the assumptions are going to be revenue and expense increases, percentages, and closing costs, financing fees, acquisition fees, and things that are important, but things that are pretty simple to input. But what's going to be more difficult is determining what your business plan is actually going to be. So what's your value-add business plan going to be from a physical perspective, not an operational perspective? So what physical improvements do you plan on making to the property? How long are they going to take? And I guess, how do you determine which ones even do? How much are they going to cost? How long is it going to take? And what will be the new rents demanded with those renovations and improvements? But before you do all that, you need to figure out what you're actually going to do. So I want to go over a list. This is by no means exhaustive, but these are just examples of, of ways to add value to apartment communities. And in order to essentially determine which ones to use, besides running it by your management company and discussing with the broker what they think is the best business plan for this deal, you're going to want to look at comps. So you're going to look at the rental comps that are provided in the OM, as well as rental comps you find on your own, and see, okay, for these comparable properties, their interiors are this, their exteriors are this, their amenities are this, and here are the rents that they are demanding. Okay, if I input these rents and the cost of the same upgrades, then I am able to meet my investors' returns. And we're going to go over a lot more about comps in a later series, but for now I just wanted to mention how do you determine what renovations I should do to the property. So the last thing we'll do in this episode is we'll go over this list of ways to add value to apartment communities. They're broken into two different categories. These are simple opportunities, so opportunities that don't cost a lot of money on your end. And then we're going to go over some more, not advanced, but more expensive value-add opportunities that have a higher cost up front, but you might be paid back depending on the market. So for example, you don't want to put a wine bar in a property that has a demographic of blue-collar workers because they don't really care about that. So again, these are very simple and basic. You might know all these already, but I'm going to go over them anyways. Number one is to add washer and dryer. So simply installing a washer and dryer into either all or a select number of units will allow you to demand a premium on those units. The premium, again, it will be based off of the rental comps. 
and the premiums for all of these will be based off of the rental comps. Another option is to either create the laundry room and install coin-operated washers and dryers, or if there's an existing laundry room, to renovate it and put in nice countertops, nice floors, clean it up a bit, maybe put a TV in there. So that's one. Number two is new appliances. So these could be, depending on the area, stainless steel appliances or just black appliances. And those are refrigerators, dishwashers, microwaves, and or stoves. You could also, instead of doing it to all units, you could offer black appliances in some units and then have premium units where you have those stainless steel appliances and charge a rental premium for those units. Number three is you can offer appliance upgrade packages. So for units that already have those newer or nicer appliances, you can charge a rental premium. So if you buy a property and you see that half the units have stainless steel appliances, other half have black appliances, but the rents are the same, once those leases expire, you can charge a $50, $100, $200, whatever the market demands for those units. Number four is you can do appliance rentals. So rather than actually putting those appliances in the units, you can offer them for rent. Not appliances as in refrigerators and microwaves, but smaller appliances like, like vacuums or carpet cleaners. So again, you could charge 10 bucks for someone to rent a vacuum or a carpet cleaner for their unit. Not only will you get that $10 extra per month per unit in rent, but also it'll reduce your turnover costs because you've got tenants who are actually taking care of those units. So it's a double benefit. Number five would be to upgrade the light fixtures. So spend 100, 200 bucks per unit to install the nice light fixtures in the kitchen, maybe put a new ceiling fan, put the new light fixtures in the bathroom. Pretty quick renovation, pretty cheap, but it will make the unit look a lot more aesthetically pleasing and you either will be able to demand more rent or at least lease those units faster. Number six, similarly, it will be new hardware. So if you're installing brand new cabinets, then this isn't super relevant, but an expensive way to make a unit look better is to replace the hardware on the kitchen cabinet, so new handles and pulls for the drawers. You can install new hardware on the vanities in the bathroom. You can install new door handles. You can install new sinks, toilets, faucets, shower heads, curtain rods in the unit. So these are all pretty cheap, 50, 100 bucks to do, but it makes the unit look a lot better and it'll allow you to demand a premium or rent those units faster. Number seven would be to implement a RUBES program, a ratio utility billing system. Essentially, this is a contractor comes in and determines how much of the utilities each unit is using, and then you're able to build back a percentage of your water expenses, your sewer expenses, trash, electric, gas, back to your residence. Number eight is parking. So a lot of different ways to charge for parking. You charge for guaranteed spots. So you can do reserved parking in some areas, and the rest is kind of a free-for-all. And if you can't find a spot, you park on the street. You could also install carports and charge money for those. If there's already a parking garage or units with garages, you can charge money for that. You charge money for, again, guaranteed or premium parking. So there's lots of ways to charge money for parking. So if you look at a deal and they're not charging for parking, then you could do that. Another one is pet fees. So if you do decide to allow pets at your property, then you can charge a fee for that. If you see the current owner does allow pets but is not charging a fee, then that's a way that you can instantaneously add value. Ten would be location or view premiums. Some of these larger apartment communities, some of the units might be closer to a fitness center or the clubhouse or the pool. Some of them might have a backyard view of a fountain or a forest area. So for those units, you can charge a little bit more based off of some sort of unique view or location. Another example would be a unit on the first floor as opposed to units on the second floor. So really at the end of the day, you could literally go unit by unit and offset rents by $5 here, $10 there based off of where they're at. 
Number 11 is a bike rack rental. So this is one of those market and resident demographic dependent amenities. But if you've got a lot of millennials or Gen Xers at your property, then you can install bike racks and then rent them out for a monthly fee. Another one's a clubhouse rental. So if you have a large clubhouse with an office space or a large gathering room, then you can offer to rent that out to residents for the night to host a birthday party or a baby shower or a wedding rehearsal or, or really anything, whatever they want to use it for. You can also upgrade your property management software. That's number 13. This one's not super value-add, but having the best property management software out there will help you calculate the market rents more accurately, which would help you reduce that loss of lease and make sure that you're renting your units at the highest cost as possible. And then the last simple value-add opportunity on here is short-term leases. So again, this can mean a lot of different things. You can charge a fee for people who are month-to-month. You can charge extra for people who are signing three- or six-month leases. You could offer a unit via like an Airbnb or work with a covered housing provider and offer short-term leases that way and charge extra fee. These last ones, 15 through 27, are going to be some more advanced, more expensive opportunities, but still things that can have a really high ROI. Number 15 is kind of general. It's demographic-based amenities. So when you are looking at ways to add value to your apartment community, then you might want to consider determining which amenities you want to offer based off of the resident demographic that you want to offer. So that's the current one or the one that you want to demand. And from a generational perspective, millennials prefer to live in a resort-style living experience. They value convenience and flexibility and will often seek out apartment communities that have higher tech amenities and services. So if you are looking to attract the millennials, then you can do things like offering free coffee in the common areas, make sure you got high-speed Wi-Fi internet, have USB charging points in the units, make sure the clubhouse and the fitness center are very modern, maybe even offer some fitness classes for them. From a Gen X perspective, they also prefer the high-tech home furnishings, but they also prefer to have some sort of concierge services as well as family-friendly features because the Gen Xers are going to have their families. And those are things like playrooms or playgrounds, daycare areas that offer family-friendly activities. Maybe you can offer finger painting or costume parties. Additionally, Gen Xers also want to have easy access to washers and dryers as well as fenced-in backyards. And then baby boomers, who surprisingly make up a decent chunk of the renter pool, they want larger living spaces, so they want larger units as well as larger common areas. They want state-of-the-art fitness centers, and they want fitness classes as well as social gatherings. So some of these are, are amenities that you can offer, but other ones are more of different events you can host at the property. So again, just kind of figure out, okay, this is the demographic, either age-wise or income-wise, and then do some investigation to figure out what that income level, that age, that demographic wants, and then make sure you have that offered at your property. Number 16 is you can install patios or balconies. So you can build patios on the ground level units and build balconies on the second, third, fourth, up to whatever level units and charge a premium for those units. So kind of figure out what the absorption rate is for those types of patios and balconies in the market and then build that many. Or if there already are balconies and patios, if they're not on every unit, then you can charge a premium on the units that they are on. And if they are in every unit, then you can still charge a premium on all units for those. And if the current owner isn't, that's a really quick way to add value. 
Similarly, you can do fenced-in yards or patios. So if they have a backyard but no patio, you can either put one there and then fence it in. This increases the privacy as well as the value of your apartment community. And you can do that on a select number of units and charge a rental premium. Number 18 is carports, which I've already mentioned. So if there aren't carports there already, you can build carports. And again, don't build like one for every single unit. You got to build a select number so that there's a man for them. And then charge a monthly or yearly fee for those. Number 19 is extra rooms. So if you have very large units, you can add bedrooms, add bathrooms, add a dining room, living room, sunroom by erecting walls in those units or adding on to existing units. Number 10 is a dog park. So if you have a pet-friendly apartment community and if there's a large green space, then you can fence it in and add some of those dog obstacles and make sure you have those poop bag stations. And you can create a dog park. You can even add a dog washing station too and have it be coin-operated or charge money for that. And then you can have different events where people can bring their dogs out and they can play together and your tenants can meet each other. Everyone loves dogs, right? Number 21 is storage lockers. So you can install storage lockers in the clubhouse and rent them out for a yearly fee. Or you can do the Amazon package lockers as well. Number 22 is vending machines. Pretty simple. Buy or rent a vending machine. Install them in your common areas. 23 is billboards. So depending on the traffic to your property as well as the building codes, you can install a billboard and lease those billboards out to local businesses. 24, you can have daycare, after school, or summer programs if that demographic is family-oriented. You could also, in your clubhouse, put a coffee shop or a little convenience mart. I'm not talking about like building a Starbucks or a CVS, but just a small shop or a cart that offers coffee and snacks. Kind of similar to what you find in, in a hotel lobby. Number 26 is a fitness center. So either renovate or construct a fitness center and offer free fitness classes there, like aerobics, spin, yoga, whatever else people are doing these days. Those classes will be free, but you'll be able to demand a premium overall at your community for having a fitness center. And then 27 is just miscellaneous. So really anything else you can think of. So, you know, other advanced or luxury upgrades that you can offer for free with those costs built in the rents are, or have a monthly, annual, or one-time amenity fee for things like a car sharing service, 24-hour concierge, cooking classes, dry cleaning or laundry service, free Wi-Fi, an iCafe, package delivery management, personal shoppers, pet grooming, rock climbing wall, rooftop terrace, spa or massage center, tech or business center, a wine cellar, Really, anything else that you can possibly think of would fall under the miscellaneous category. So again, as I mentioned, whenever you're looking at a prospective deal or determining how you're going to add value to an apartment building that you already have, refresh yourself with this list of 27 ways to add value and determine if it makes financial sense to implement those value and opportunities, again, based off the property type, the market, rent demographic, as well as the rental comps in the area. And make sure you confirm the rental premiums that you believe you can demand with these new amenities by having that conversation with your management company. So that concludes this episode where essentially we finished up what should have been finished up in yesterday's episode, which is inputting the T12 information into the financial model. And then we went over 27 ways to add value to apartment communities. Now, in next week's series, we're going to continue with this how to underwrite a value apartment deal by going over step four of the seven-step underwriting process, which is setting those underwriting assumptions. Until then, I recommend listening to part one 
downloading your free simplified cash flow calculator, as well as listening to some of the other syndication school episodes that we've already done and checking out those free documents as well. All those can be found at syndicationschool.com. Thank you for listening, and I will talk to you tomorrow on Follow Along Friday. Stessa is the essential tool for tracking your rental properties, and it's going to save you a tremendous amount of time during tax season. Stessa organizes all of your rental property financials and automatically creates all the reports you need to file your tax return. And Stessa teamed up with the top real estate CPAs to offer you, best ever listeners, the ultimate rental property tax guide to help you maximize your deductions. Get that copy when you sign up for an account that counts free. So get the copy by going to stessa.com forward slash best taxes. That's S-T-E-S-S-A dot com forward slash best taxes. Ever wonder how the top in real estate got there? The Invest This podcast hosted by real estate investor Scott Bauer interviews the top names in the industry, giving you the tips and tricks that help you catapult your real estate business to success. Find them at investthispodcast.com.